Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. Hey, Jeff. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yay. Um, We're going to talk about a new application. I don't think we've ever done an episode just about a single app, except maybe Apple's Photos app. But Skylum has come out with a new version of their photo editing app, Luminar, version 4. And I was thinking it would be great to talk about this. It would be really great if we could find someone who knows a lot about it. Do you know anyone? Well, it turns out uh, we do know somebody. And that person happens to be, uh, I don't know, me. Uh, I've been working on a book for Rocky Nook Press called The Photographer's Guide to Luminar 4. Uh, It's almost done and will be hopefully in your hands soon. But uh, yeah, so I've been I've been pretty immersed in Luminar Four, just because of all the other apps, and you know we've mentioned lots of other apps. Uh, of of all of these, when I was talking to Rocky Nook, we were trying to figure out like which one is going to have a lot of impact, which one you know is worth writing an entire book about. And Luminar has a lot going for it, and it's you know it's it's not Lightroom because. There are many, many, many books about Lightroom. And uh, yeah, so I've been writing a book about it. And this this new version, Luminar 4, kind of threw a curve into the schedule. But there's some really interesting things I think we can talk about in the in the new version. I think it's fair to say that these days you cannot swing an otter without hitting a photo editing app for Mac. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> there are so many of them. And they are new versions that come out. Very often, very quickly, um, we talked a few months ago about Pixelmator Pro, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like because of the way it integrates into Apple's Photos app as an extension. We'll talk about that later. Um, Affinity Photo, I don't think has had a major version upgrade in a while, but it's one of the higher end um, photo apps. It really gives you a lot of options. Uh, there's one called Polar Photo Editor, I think, which is also quite good. And then, of course, there's raw power from our friends at Gentleman Coders who've been on this show. Um, and, and add to that all the smaller apps that are out there. I mean, Photos itself, and you've mentioned Lightroom, mm-hmm. but there are a lot. So Luminar is trying to differentiate themselves here, offering a quite radically different approach to photo editing. I think so, yeah. Well, what's interesting is a lot of these programs, like take Affinity Photo, for example, uh, Pixelmator Pro, uh, a little bit, actually, like the original Pixelmator kind of fits more into this category that I'm about to throw it into, which is basically programs that are trying to be Photoshop or trying to be Photoshop alternates. And for a while, you know, Photoshop was the only game in town. If you wanted to edit photos, you used Photoshop to the point where I think Adobe's Photoshop Elements, which is the consumer version, basically got a huge boost because people thought, oh, I need to edit photos. I need Photoshop. Here's one that's $100 rather than $600 or whatever it was before. Now the full Photoshop is is on a subscription pricing. So all of these other applications basically took that as a model of how to do a photo editing. And it's good, but there's just so much. There are, there are so many palettes and tools and you know it, it can get very overwhelming very quickly. If you've ever used Affinity Photo, you know this is the case. And so Luminar is really Skylum's attempt to say, okay, let's let's rethink how this is done 
and a lot of the the controls are there and a lot of ideas are also borrowed from Lightroom but they're really kind of pushing more into AI for example uh, more so than I think a lot of the others are uh, maybe Pixelmator Pro, they're doing a lot with AI too, but it still sort of feels like AI on top of Photoshop. Whereas some of the things in Luminar are really geared toward taking away a lot of pain points for somebody who doesn't want to, say, make layers and masks and selections. There are essentially two types of tools. Let's get rid of Lightroom. Okay. There are essentially two types of tools that most people use to work with their photos. The first one is really simple. Um, it's a filter. You got your photo, you apply a filter, boom. And, and it could be Snapseed on iOS, which gives you a lot more options, but it's filters, Visco, tools like that. Mm -hmm. And then the second is apps with tools that give you tons of things to do. And Apple Photos comes in sort of in the middle, but on the high end of that, they have very few filters. And I'm always surprised that Apple hasn't, say, bought out a company like Visco to have a wide range of filters. Yeah. Um, they've only got about, what, a dozen, maybe only 10 of them. Uh, but they do have a number of tools, and we've discussed Apple Photos. We'll put a link in the show notes to an episode we did where we talked about the different tools. They're easy to use. A lot of them you actually see little thumbnails of what's going to happen when you drag them. Um, so Luminar comes in somewhere in the middle. You don't need to understand everything that you're doing. You have some options where you can just drag a slider and make massive changes to a photo. And they call these things like AI enhance, where you drag a slider um, and it slowly, as you go from left to right, enhances more and more until you get to the point where it's too much. Then you pull back and you find the nice balance. Um, and, and this is a big shift from Luminar 3, which called everything filters. And you had a menu, you had to add the filters to your workspace, and it was confusing. And so I've only been looking at this for a few days. And my first impression is hey, this really is not complicated. I can look at this and I can, while I don't understand everything that's going on, I think uh, you're going to have a lot of people who don't know what AI structure means, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these tools and sliders, they've stripped down from the previous sort of gaudy interface to something really, really minimalist. Yeah, I think that's actually a big thing with Luminar 4. I mean, part of Luminar 3, if any of our listeners have used that or maybe an earlier version. Uh, the idea was a lot of flexibility. So you had these workspaces and you had like every single tool was a filter and you could sort of mix and match and you could build your, your workspace. So you only have the tools that you need, say, for your landscape photos or maybe your portrait photos. And although the idea behind that was good, it did introduce a lot of complication. So Skylum, I think maybe through user feedback or just an attempt to differentiate themselves, pulled everything back. And now there are actually fewer filters and controls in Luminar 4, but that's a good thing because Luminar 3 had sort of accreted a whole bunch of other tools, some of which did the same thing, but under different names. And it just got confusing. And so now here... It has basically four main categories of tools. You have essentials, you have creative tools, you have portrait tools, and then you have pro tools. And there's also a hidden category called deprecated, which is basically 
tools that you might have used in the old program that can still be used in this version just to, to provide a, a bridge. Where do you find those? They only show up uh, if you open a file that has used those older filters before. Okay. And so everything lives in a sidebar off to the right. You don't have to go hunting for tools and palettes and floating palettes and all of that junk. And I find it's 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 very responsive. So when you're you know making changes like the AI enhance that you mentioned, things happen pretty quickly, and you see what's what's happening right away. One change I notice, uh, you'll correct me if this did exist in Luminar three. Uh, in the preferences, there's an option to use the graphic processor. Now I know that a lot of apps don't really benefit from using the GPU instead of the CPU. I'm pretty sure that Apple Photos doesn't. Uh, and you even mentioned in our previous episode that one of the reasons you bought the 16-inch MacBook Pro was it because new apps are using the graphics processor. So is this new in Luminar 4 compared to Luminar 3? I believe it is, yeah. I would have to go open a Luminar 3 uh, to check. But I do remember you know, one of the, the nice things about Luminar 3 was it wasn't consuming a huge amount of battery power if you're on a laptop. But you would get, you know, some some lags as you would say open a raw file and then they would have to process it. There's still some of that. I don't, I don't want to say that it's, you know, super It instant. seems faster to me. It yeah. It does seem faster. It, it it does seem faster. If anybody wants to send us one of the new Mac Pros to test this on, we'd be happy to indulge you. That would be an interesting comparison. That would be an interesting comparison. It's using more of the hardware resources of your machine and I think it's doing it in a smart way. Well, I've just dropped a photo into it, a raw photo, and my fan's going pretty fast, but mm -hmm. things are responsive. And I'm on a 21.5-inch iMac that's nowhere near as fast as possible. Um, I do find it much more responsive than what I've seen in the past. So that's a plus. Luminar has three ways of using it. You can use it as an app with a catalog, a photo browser. You catalog your images and you edit them in Luminar. You can use it as a standalone editor. You just drag a file in and then put it wherever. Or you can use it as a plugin in Apple Photos or other apps, Photoshop, etc. Um, we were looking before the show. Pixelmator Pro, which came out recently, is the only app on the Mac so far where you can open a photo uh, using the app as an extension, make edits, put it back into photos. Then when you go back to Pixelmator Pro, you can keep adjusting the edits. Every other app sort of saves a flat TIFF file when it's finished editing and puts it back into photos, which is the case with Luminar. I don't expect apps to really do that. Um, I think Pixelmator Pro stands out for that. And for me, if you're going to use an app as an editor with the Photos app, Pixelmator Pro is a really good choice for that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there's another one called Pictorial that also does it. And... Part of the reason that I think this is rare is you have to do a little bit of monkeying behind the scenes to save all the different edits. And so when you go back in using the, the plugin, it's able to say, okay, the vignette tool was set to minus 25 and you realize you want it to be minus 50 instead. You don't have to basically start over with a new edited version, which is the default for most of the behavior. Or you could just revert and start over, but that's that's kind of a pain. So the AI stuff, um, I, I'm you know I'm going to make a screenshot of this right now, and I'm going to we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, this is a really simple photo uh, of the long barn that's 
along the courtyard behind my house and you've got the brick barn and you see the roof and you see the blue sky and you see um, the stones in front and you see some grass. And I just slid the AI accent filter in the AI enhance section a little bit. And well, Jiminy, this makes this photo look a whole lot better. It really does. Now, I'm going to put two screenshots in. I'm going to put before and after so you can compare them. And this is not a photo that is particularly interesting, but to see what it can do with something like that is it's really quite impressive. I think Jiminy is a really good reaction to that because, I mean, essentially this is an auto button. A lot of programs have variations of an auto button, which, you know, I like to click the auto button, see what the computer is going to do, and then, exactly. you know, maybe take those suggestions or not. What's nice about this implementation is it's a slider. So you can say, I want this to be a little bit enhanced, or I'm going to crank it all the way up and see what it does. And this is something that I think we can touch on a little bit later. One thing I really like about Luminar is I think in most cases, even when you crank the sliders all the way up, it doesn't go overboard. The portrait tools, the AI enhanced tools, you can go all the way and you're not left with some, you know, nuclear burn in on your screen. Uh, they do, you know, a, a really good job. And then you can back off from from the maximum if you want and still get a really good image. So literally, you can just open up a photo or open it via your plugin, use AI enhance. It might do 80, 90, 95 percent of what you were looking to do in the first place. But then if you want to, you can also use other tools to fine-tune things. When you look at these screenshots, you'll see that the blue in the sky is a bit too blue. But this is a sort of – this is a look in some ways, right? This is what they're trying to achieve. Now, if you're familiar with photo editing tools, there's an app that I don't think is sold anymore called Photo Lemur. Photo Lemur. I don't know how you pronounce that. Animal, oh, yeah, Photo Lemur. Lemur. And it was based on the AI accent features in Luminar, spun off into a simple uh, app. You just drag your photos, slide, save, and boom. It was for you know people who don't want to edit photos. So they've got a lot of experience working with this technology to figure out how to do things. But Jiminy, it's, you know, I just picked a random photo and it comes out pretty good. And I haven't gone anywhere beyond the AI enhanced. So I'm thinking... This could be the photo editor for people who don't want to f edit photos. Yeah, yeah, I think so. After the break, let's talk about uh, some of the, the like specifics of what AI can do because it's not just, you know, hey, I'm going to make my photo better overall, which is what this control does. And it's got some really interesting stuff. Okay, let's take a break. Okay, so we want to talk a little bit about AI. And you know what? I'm going to take a third screenshot because I've played around with a couple of other tools. And so here's what's impressive. The Landscape Enhancer offers three options, Dehaze, Golden Hour, and Foliage Enhancer. 
Now, in some ways, this is pretty simple. The foliage enhancer is basically going to increase saturation on greens. The golden hour is going to add a bit of a golden hue. And if you use them subtly, it would be interesting. Um, but I just used them on this photo, and it looks just a little bit better. It makes the grass look greener. It makes the bricks look a little bit more real. Um, is this AI, or is this just a color filter? Uh, this is AI. That term sort of gets lumped into a lot of things. But what we're talking about is basically the software's ability to see and identify what's in the photo. So in that case, it can tell say, where a sky is. It can tell where, you know, possibly trees are and make a really good guess as to, you know, well, this sort of looks like grass. This matches a pattern that I know of as trees. Trees are often green. So when I do the landscape enhancer, then we'll add some green to that area. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm massively simplifying things, but that's that's essentially what's going on. When you're using just the plain AI enhance, there's uh, a slider that says AI accent. It's looking at the contents of your photo, and it's able to say, oh, this looks like a landscape photo. This area up here looks like a sky. This looks like some ground. And the AI, the machine learning, has looked at hundreds of thousands or millions of photos like that, and it can say, oh, well, in all these other cases, they've uh, made the sky bluer. So we'll add some blue to the top area. And this foreground area looks like it's a little dark. So we'll bring up the shadows. We'll, we'll add that. So the software is making very good educated guesses on what it sees. Now, take that another step. If it can identify things in the picture, such as a sky, what else can it identify? So let's say people. Cats? Uh, you know what? It, it probably can identify cats. I, yeah. I, strangely enough, I don't have a large cat library <laughs> to test against, but um, it, it would not surprise me at all if it could. So going back to people, facial recognition and like human body recognition, this is a problem that's been solved for quite some time. So what can we do with that? I wrote an article for Creative Pro about facial recognition, just sort of looking at the timeline of, of where it's evolved and how, you know, for a long time, facial recognition was just used to identify people that you know in your photos so that I could go through my library and say, these are all the photos of Kirk. These are all the photos of my daughter. And that's great. But now we have a situation where the software can tell, okay, that's a person and that's a face and those are eyes, and that's a nose, and that's a mouth. And it can make edits based on that. So you had mentioned the AI structure command before. What that does is that will add structure, or say clarity is what it's also known as in other applications, where it's increasing the local contrast. Well, when you do that, when there's a person in the picture your background may look really nice and, and, and textured and you get a lot of detail, but your average person is going to look terrible because it's just, it's, it's so over detailed. It accentuates every blemish and wrinkle that you might have. And so traditionally what you'd have to do is you would have to mask out that person so that the edits don't apply to the person's face. And, you know, it takes time. AI structure says, oh, well, we're going to apply structure. But if there's a person in there, we're not going to apply the edits to a person. And so what I just described, when you drag the slider, it's doing all of that masking and 
everything behind the scenes so that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go to the trouble of selecting things and and, and making masks and getting the selection right. Exactly, exactly. So, for example, uh, the edit that you just did with the AI Enhance, how long did that take you? 20 seconds? Not even. Yeah. I went too far and then I pulled back to find a look that seemed to me realistic without being you know, overdone. Exactly. So a new feature in Luminar 4, they have some new portrait editing tools. And I have to say, I'm really impressed. So they have one that's an AI skin enhancer. And it's basically used to remove wrinkles, okay? But it's not really aggressive. In some applications, you smooth skin and basically you end up with people who look like mannequins. It like it's It's just not real. There are techniques to make that more realistic and they're very involved and they involve layers. Well, here you drag the AI skin enhancer slider and it will smooth skin, but it keeps that texture. So you're not going to make, you know, someone who is 60 years old suddenly look 30, but you're going to make their skin look like a good, healthy 60 year old. And that's really cool. There's also some portrait enhancer tools, again, going back to what it knows about a human face so that you can make changes like something that I use almost all the time when I'm doing a portrait in Luminar. Uh, There's a face light slider. All it does is it brings a little bit of light onto a person's face, sort of like if you were using a reflector on location and just sort of bouncing some light. And that's all it does. But it only affects the face. And actually, if you have multiple people, it recognizes multiple people and will apply that to each one in, in the picture. There's a great slider for removing dark circles under people's eyes. Everybody has this. And it works really well. It's not going to make me look like I haven't been drinking coffee and staying up late, but it's going to make me look better. You know what I mean? And so because it's AI, it knows how to differentiate different facial features. Another example, there's an eye enhancer slider. That's all it does. It knows where your eyeballs are and adds a bit of contrast and a little bit of brightness to it. And it just sort of makes eyes pop because that's that's what you're often focused on. These are things that are super easy to implement. And even at the maximum amounts, you're not going to you know look like some uh, uh, Japanese manga character. That was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. The, the Japanese manga eyes, the big eyes that were twice as big as they should. There's actually, I think, an admirable amount of restraint. Photoshop has a tool that will do some of this stuff. And, I mean, you can make people look like they're aliens from Area 51. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, <laughs> you know, Luminar is like, okay, we're not trying to make anybody look weird or terrible. We're just, you know, maybe trying to make their eyes look like they're just a little bit more open. We're going to remove some of the shadows on their face, that sort of thing. Okay. So while you were talking, I took the same photo, made a black and white conversion. Um, There'll be uh, another photo in the show notes to show you this. It's pretty much like any black and white conversion with six sliders, red, yellow, green, cyan, blue, magenta. But it seemed... With some apps, I never really find exactly what I want, and here I did. Now, I don't know if this is because of all the stuff that I did before. I added a little bit of grain, by the way, mm-hmm. um, to make that to make it look more black and white. But 
I've, I'm essentially impressed by the ease of doing almost everything. Uh, I, I would argue that some of the terminology is a bit strange. So uh, in the creative filter, you have color styles, LUT. LUT is a lookup table. And if you click choose LUT, you see a bunch of essentially what are filters, what other apps called filters. Now, Luminar also has what they call looks, which are filters. And I think that gets a little confusing. Um, maybe they should just call them filters instead of LUT because they're aiming for users who don't really know what LUTs are. Um, and then you've got these pro tools and I'm not even sure what they're for. And then, um, I, I think in some ways there's maybe a, a lot of stuff that's not really useful. Um, some, some of it is gimmicky. So the sky replacement, uh, it's actually quite impressive. And you're going to start noticing photos on Instagram and elsewhere where you're going to say, gee, that sky looks familiar because there's about <laughs> 20, 25 different skies that you can put in and it detects where the sky is, which probably isn't that hard. Sky is usually at the top of a photo, right? Yes. However, I think the sky replacement is actually more impressive than just gimmicky because I was the same way. I was like, okay, well, you swap in the sky. What's nice about this implementation is it does a really good job of not just telling where a sky is, but if you have impediments to the sky, if you have, um, you know, say you're looking through a a lighthouse and you have the sky behind the lighthouse, it it can pick that out. It does a really good job of you know dealing with with trees and foliage, um, and What's key to the sky replacement is you can use your own photos. In fact, you should be using right. your own photos. Yeah. I mean, definitely use the ones that are there to play around with it. What you said, it was funny when this first came out. It was like, oh, there's that sky. There's that sky. There's that sky. And then people would get all angry like, oh, well, you know, you're not representing the integrity of the moment. And okay, yes, yes, fine. You're right. However, there are a lot of people who – can really use this feature. One of the the easiest things to come to mind is uh, real estate photographers. It doesn't really matter if your sky is celestially accurate and the clouds are where they would be and the sun would necessarily be where it is depending on the photo that you add. What you're looking for is something outside the windows that just makes it more interesting than gray. And it can absolutely do that. There are a couple of night sky images that you can put in, and I'm sure that people who actually know the night sky, it probably, <laughs> you know, drives them crazy because they look at this, they're like, no, Saturn is not in that spot, but whatever. And there are also some sunsets, and oh, yeah. if you put a sunset with golden hour, um, you can do a lot of stuff. I, th I think what's interesting here is, you know, you mentioned about how it manages to to find the sky behind the impediments yes. is the word you used. And that comes back to the fact that what this AI is essentially doing is selecting things for you. Yes. Um, so let's say you've got a picture, you're going through a picket fence and the sky behind it. It'll do what you could do in Photoshop if you know how to do the very careful selection of the picket fence and then the reverse selection, whatever. It'll do all that. Uh, the question is afterwards, uh, you know, how useful is it for your photography. If you're into really creative landscape photography, you're not going to use that. You're going to use other tools. Right. But as you said, for real estate photography, for a professional who needs to do something like that, I can see this as just being brilliant. I'm going to start checking real estate sites and see if they all use the same <laughs> That's a good idea. What's 
also nice about that feature is, let's say you're on vacation, you go out and you're at some great location and you just get skunked by the sky. It's just gray or it's bland or it's just completely blue. Like a plain blue sky, people are like, oh, it's such a beautiful day. And photographers are like, no, it's a boring sky. Like we hate just a plain blue sky. Well, you can take that image and add basically like a wispy cloud sky to it. So you're not really, you know, representing it as, you know, some dramatic sunset that you never saw, but you're adding some detail that makes that picture a little bit more interesting because you wanted to, you know, focus on, let's say, the landscape or a building or something, but you just want it to be slightly more interesting. You drop a sky in there that adds a little bit of texture and you're good. One last thing I want to say about AI Sky Replacement, it has a very clever feature that will recolor the image based on the sky image that you have added. And I, that's I noticed actually that cool. when I add like a sunset, it turns my brick slightly yellower. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can control how much of that is applied. You don't have like a lot of control over, you know, say like, oh, I only want the yellow part. I only want the red, orange part. But it does a really good job of, of changing the ambient light to reflect that sky, which I think is really cool. Okay. I think we've spoken enough. I mean, we can keep talking. You're editing this episode. So it depends <laughs> if you want to edit a, an hour episode. Um, I just want to say that I'm actually quite impressed. I've been frustrated with Luminar in the past. Uh, it's never been my go-to editing app because it just felt, it felt a bit chintzy. It felt a bit gaudy, you know, this, particularly with their HDR tool. And, and I'm not into that kind of HDR that um, you know, we've talked about HDR. Mm -hmm. It can look like, as I think you said, someone on acid. Um, so I'm quite impressed. There are a lot of tools here that make it really easy to take a photo and make it look better. Um, check out a demo. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's also worth mentioning, and I, I think this is actually one of their big selling points, is you pay one price for it. It's not a subscription. No subscription, yeah. Definitely check out their website because the, the price tends to fluctuate. They have a lot of sales. But for less than $100, you're getting a very professional editor that can do that AI, move one slider and you're done. But then there are also lots of other controls and you can be more specific about it, um, and which I think should be described in a book. That would be a good idea. In fact, when that <laughs> book comes out, maybe we'll have the author on and we'll do a giveaway. We should. We should. He's, he's kind of cantankerous because he hasn't slept a whole lot, but I, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> okay. Should we move on to our snapshots? Let's move on to our snapshots. Do you have a snapshot? I do. I have several videos that I've purchased that I've watched partially because I just have been very busy this year. Um, and so th this is one, I haven't completed it, but uh, it's from Creative Live. And it's a video course by Joe McNally. Joe McNally is a fantastic uh, portrait photographer. And uh, it's called Lighting, Logistics, and Strategies for a Life in Photography. Uh, it has like 14 hours of content. There are video lessons. It's got a whole bunch of stuff. This is Creative Live, so sometimes they will run sales. As I speak, uh, this is $29. It's normally $200. I think I paid somewhere around $50 for it. Uh, but what's interesting about this is if you are doing any sort of portrait shooting or on-location shooting or even just slightly interested in it, 
this is basically a way to watch someone puzzle through what's going to happen on location. He is a professional among professionals, and yet he's in this space that has some challenging lighting, and he's trying to figure out what to do with the models. And there's a live class who's there with him, and they get to ask questions and stuff. But like you see him sort of in process, which is nice. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, it's like, oh, we put the model over here, and we had this softbox, and we took some shots, and there was so much energy, and it was great. And there's a lot of this that's just like, okay, we're going to try this, and that didn't work at all. Well, what if we move this light over here? What if we position the model this way? So I find that sort of stuff fascinating, and I think that uh, you know, if you are looking at this kind of photography, it's a nice insight into what's going on. Kirk, what about you this week? I've got something really simple. Um, I wonder how many people listening to this show have cameras that they've bought other than iPhones and have never updated the firmware. Oh, good point. I mentioned this because there was an update to the X-T3 firmware, the camera that you and I both have that came out today. Mm -hmm. And it's got a bunch of new features and changes and you should update your firmware. You should check your camera manufacturer's website and see if there's firmware for your camera and for your lenses because oh, yeah. lenses get firmware too. And I think this is something a lot of people ignore. And, you know, like any computer, a camera is a computer with a lens and a sensor, there are bugs that are going to be ironed out and particularly I would expect improvements in autofocus. So one of the things in the new X-T3 firmware um, is that you can choose a, one eye for the focus to remain on. So you can choose right eye or left eye and not something that really concerns me that much, but Jeff did a big thumbs up there because <laughs> it is actually quite a big deal. Um, so I recommend you go to your camera manufacturer's website and you find support and you see when the latest firmware update came out and you update your camera. Well, this is also something that I think is different, I would say, maybe in the last four or five years, because before you'd have firmware updates and it would be the camera manufacturer saying, you know, okay, we, we found a bug and we fixed it, whatever. Uh, but the way cameras are made now, again, like you said, computers, companies have been adding brand new features. Um, there's a, a Canon uh, mirrorless that's on the market that I think when it came out had really terrible autofocus. But you know people wanted to buy it because they already had Canon lenses and whatever. Canon released a firmware update that took the autofocus and made it you know almost world class. And so you're literally getting new features for what you already paid for without having to buy a brand new camera to get some of those new features. And that's really great. Yeah, and I think in the case of Fuji, what they've done is they've taken a feature. I believe this um, eye detection was rolled out in the X-Pro3, which recently came out, and now they've brought it to the X-T3. So when you have a new camera that comes out from the same manufacturer, they may um, bring some of those newer features back into the older cameras because they know you're not going to buy a new camera just for eye detection. Um, but it's going to give you it's going to make you more faithful to the brand if they do update the the features more exactly okay great that's it for this week happy new year um happy new year thanks for listening to photoactive you can find show notes including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co that's photoactive.co we couldn't afford the m you can join our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash 
Photoactive Cast. That's Photoactive Cast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 